You're listening to The Authenticity Show, where you get to eavesdrop on great conversations about health, creativity, and the quest for excellence. Your hosts are Carlos Casados and Satch Purcell. First up, Carlos and Satch each share a personal story about road rage, how they dealt with the experience, and what they learned from it. I once, and I, I think I might have shared this story with you. This is a true story, by the way. Ooh. This really happened to me, right? And uh, this was the popcorn. Yeah, this was one of those eye-opening moments for me. Mm-hmm. It was. It started off with a case of road rage. Road rage. Um, this was many, many years ago. Um, I was a much younger man, and uh, I uh, got really upset at somebody on the road, as uh, we all have at some point. Yep. And uh, it was one of those arguments that... Guilty as charged. Yeah, you know, it was one of those arguments that that could have come to physical blows. It didn't, thank goodness. You know, thank goodness it didn't. But I will admit that in my mind... I did beat the crap out of this guy amygdala, in my brain. Yeah. Right, right. Exactly. Yeah. My, my uh, lizard brain uh, completely destroyed this man. Um, and in my mind, I remember just pounding this guy with my right arm, just beating him to a pulp. Now, this didn't really happen. Right. right? It happened in my mind. You strongly visualized it. Yeah. I v- very strongly visualized it. It was a very emotionally charged experience. And... Uh, but I want to, I want to point this out. I never physically did anything. I didn't go home and beat up the pillow. I didn't, I never physically, I didn't punch the air. I was just really PO'd in my, in my mind. And to my surprise, the next maybe three days or so, my whole right shoulder and scapula was unbelievably sore. Like I really did it. And I learned a powerful, uh, lesson from that experience is that even thinking tremendously violent thoughts caused the same type of delayed onset muscle soreness. And I'm talking real serious soreness. Like I was in, I was in pain the coming days um, as though I really beat this guy up. So, you know, I mean, it's like my brain caused my muscles to make lactic acid and make me sore as though I really had an intense workout. Um, so I think, I think emotions and thoughts, um, are also food and we need to process them. We need to digest them properly. We need to eat them properly. And, and, uh, this is, this is a topic I think, uh, uh, probably deserves more discussion. Strongly visualized, strongly pictured events are experienced as real to the unconscious mind which is one of the reasons why sports hypnosis is so effective and why in a really well-taught yoga class, there's a visualized practice. You know, there's a part where there are visualizations, there's even uh, phrases and um, affirmations that can go along with the postures that are you know, trying to unify the mind, the mm. body, and uh, what they would call spirit. Sure. Yeah. Our brain and body doesn't know the difference between imagination and reality. Right. You know, and, um, you know, so here I am, I'm sore because I beat this guy up. Did I really beat the guy up? Well, no, but did I kind of, 
that wasn't healthy for me. You know, I felt awful after that. I learned from that day that, that your thoughts, you know, especially my own anger, I had to get that under control because I could not allow, if that was powerful enough to make me sore for days after my imaginary fight, (laughs) what does that do into my health? Yeah. My heart, my brain, my hormones. That's terrible for me. You know, it's so important to think good thoughts and, and digest healthy thoughts, you know? Yeah, you know, um, on the topic of road rage, I learned a huge lesson myself one day, mm. um, many, many years ago. I may have told you this already, but um, I was with my girlfriend at the time, and there was a really big refrigerator-sized guy who okay. was swerving his car around and yelling and his fist out the window and everything, and i just come out of a restaurant, and I came onto the road. Now... I don't really know whether I cut him off or, or not. I don't think I did, but if I did, you know, I wasn't aware of it. Yeah. But he was absolutely convinced that, you know, I had done something wrong mm-hmm. and he was really trying to um, make it clear to me that he wanted to have my head on a chopping block, yeah. right? Yeah. And something in me, I think it was because I had my girlfriend with me and I was worried about what would happen. My amygdala got hijacked. Sure. Amygdala hijacked. Yeah. And it literally seized control of me at the moment. And I did something so stupid. I pulled the parking brake on my truck. Oh my God. Flung open the door. And I went at this person who was in their car. Okay. And something about how committed I was to his demise, I suppose. Wow. <laughs> um, shocked him out of his rage and when i saw his reaction of fear genuine reaction of fear just like click i snapped out of my rage because i noticed that something had shifted and i was no longer in my amygdala reaction yeah you know that base brain reaction i'd shifted back into a you know prefrontal cortex you know compassion and visualizing um the after effects of what might happen if i did this and all these kinds of things it just sort of i got this global perspective suddenly like oh wait a minute what am i doing and what's this creating and yeah whoa i need to stop right now and suddenly our conversation just went down to a normal talking tone there was no yelling and i just said hey whatever happened i'm sorry And he said the same thing. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. And it, it triggered me to say, well, okay, we're, we're good. Right. You know, kind of thing. Wow. And, and I got back into the truck and, um, you know, started driving again. And that had such an effect on me because I thought that is so not me. And yeah. yet here I was doing that. Yes. That was so not me. I'm here. Yeah. It's like teaching yoga and Qigong and meditation. And right. like, I think I was vegetarian at the time. And I was just uh-huh. like, it was just absolutely not me. And I, you know me, I'm not a, a violent yeah. person. Oh, yeah. It was just this reaction of, of this pure animal kicking in of, I need to defend myself and my girlfriend from this monster that's attacking me kind of yeah, thing. Yeah. I went into my base brain, my reptilian just dragon just took the over. The lizard emerged. And yeah. um, I thought about it in reflection um, immediately and realized that the feeling I had mm-hmm. that I could connect to in my body yeah. was the same feeling that I was getting when I watched The Sopranos. Um, and I was watching, oh, you know, wow. episode after I was binge watching the Sopranos. So guess what my unconscious was learning 
Guess violence, what my unconscious violence, was visualizing violence, was, yes. hey, you handle things by taking out a baseball bat and showing them how it's done. Right. That's, that was my, and I, I became like Tony Soprano in that moment. Yeah. And so yeah. I'll be honest with you, um, although I was really enjoying the show and I saw you know a few different mm-hmm. seasons of it, I didn't finish the show because I realized that it would be unhealthy for me to continue watching it right. because of the, the cognitive shift in my being after looking at it for so long. And now I'm sure I could watch it without the same reaction. Right. I've you learned the lesson. I've learned the lesson. Yeah. It's different. But at the time, I really needed to stop. Yeah. And I, I realized, hey, that's not the image I need soaking yeah. into my unconscious mind right now at this moment. Listening to the Authenticity Show, where you get to eavesdrop on great conversations about health, creativity, and the quest for excellence. Your hosts are Carlos Casados and Satch Purcell. Next up, Carlos and Satch discuss the concept of an internal representation and how your psychological state can affect your ability to learn, heal, communicate, and understand. an internal representation internal representation we call an ir for short it's just the way that you represent any idea or any uh, anything that you witness internally why it's important is that um, based on the kind of internal representation you have it will change your emotional state and if it changes your emotional state That'll have an effect on your body, your physiology, and ultimately how you behave. So uh, in the NLP model of communication, if you have an external event, mm-hmm. whatever that is, say you're witnessing a traumatic event like 9-11 or seeing a beautiful sunset, each of those is going to have a unique representation on the inside of your mind, not just because they're different events, mm-hmm. but because of the filters that you process the external event through Mm -hmm. and as you identify whatever it is that you're experiencing those sets of filters that that it passes through change the way you identify it okay when you have an external event one of the first things that happens is you delete stuff that's not important to you right right okay so if you really don't care that much about nature, you might not notice the amazing spider web with the glistening, you know, beads of dew on it from the uh, yeah, totally. sprinkler or whatever, shining like, right. you know, beads or diamonds or something like that. You wouldn't notice mm-hmm. those little beautiful uh, pieces of what it is you're perceiving. Yeah. On the other hand, if you were really into, let's say, I don't know, baseball and you saw a baseball card and on the floor, mm-hmm. you're more likely to see it than the person who isn't, even though you're in the same room or in the same place. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. So we delete a lot and that takes care of this mass amount of information that you're exposed to mm-hmm. and you're filtering it out so that you can then select what is important to you. Mm-hmm. 
And there's a lot of reasons for these filters to be in place, but basically everybody does these three things. They delete, they generalize, and they distort. Your life experience affects how you, what, what you would choose to delete from any picture or any situation. Yeah. And the same with generalization. If you have a lot of experiences, whether negative or positive, it's going to change how you generalize about things like relationships, people, um, bosses, yeah. um, you know, uh, traffic, uh, yeah. cooking, eating. I mean, all these things you start to generalize about. It's not just that you generalize about individual things. You generalize about concepts too. And distortions are interesting because distortions allow you, for example, if I turn my head sideways, you're not wondering who I am. You still know it's me. Yeah, right, right. I mean, you can distort the image or the memory mm -hmm. based upon, you know, the fact that I've turned my head, you know who I am still. It's, it it yeah. sounds crazy or, or silly maybe, but it's really true. You, you distort images all the time or even the blind spots in your eye yeah. are distortions. It's hallucinations in a way. Yeah, totally. Um, yeah. We distort things uh, by thinking that we like them better mm -hmm. or dislike them more. Yeah. Uh, chocolate is good. Strawberry is bad or whatever. Right. right and, right. um, you know, Brussels sprouts are horrible and fried mm -hmm. chicken is great. I mean, we have the, like our preferences and those are distortions too. Yeah. Everybody does these three things. They delete, they generalize and they distort. I'll tell you something that happened yesterday. Um, last night I had a chance to, uh, do some acupuncture on, uh, an 82 year old lady. She wow. was the sweetest, cutest little old lady ever. And, uh, she had really bad knees. Hmm. So I was going to do some acupuncture and she was very talkative, you know, uh, pretty spry, you know, 82 year old. Um, and she had taken lots of pain medications, you know, opiates and things like that, you know, to deal with her, her, her bad knees. And so she asks me now, how does the acupuncture work? She oh. says, right. And I explained that I'm going to do acupuncture on her elbow to treat her knee. And she's like, well, how does, you know, how is this possible? You know, she, she couldn't figure it out. And I think what I did, this is a, this is an analogy I've given lots of patients before. And I forget where I picked this up from. Somebody said this once, maybe I picked it up in a seminar and it just stuck with me over the years because it was, it's so true. Um, and I think what I did was I, I created a new internal representation for her wow. as to how acupuncture works. And I said, well, you started off as one cell <laughs> and then all the trillions of cells in your body came from that one cell, right? So it's crazy not to think that your elbow is connected to your knee, that your ankles are connected to your wrists, you know, that your wrists are connected to your neck, you know, that because you started off as one cell, how could they not have a relationship and, and an amazing relationship? And she just was mesmerized by that analogy. Then we put some needles in her elbow and her knee pain went away. Awesome. <laughs> it was incredible. And she was just so excited. And then what I, I tried to do is just kept feeding her positivity well, I'm so glad we're doing this. I said, it's, isn't it great? You know, this is fantastic. You know, I'm excited to see what kind of good results you get, you know? That's an example of controlling someone else's IR. Okay. You know, you, yeah. you didn't give her time to um, change the IR because you told her this 
compelling, mm-hmm. uh, plausible story about um, why it made sense, and then you kind of built on it. You know, you yeah, stayed in rapport. Sure. You talked to her about it. You kept uh, you kept referring to it, and then adding on where necessary. Mm-hmm. And you know, in this short amount of time that you you gave her the treatment. Uh, she was probably very wrapped up and absorbed in in you and your story, mm. and it became her reality after that, because the internal nice. representation she was creating with the the words that you gave her were totally in line with okay. the state of mind you needed her to be in. Cool. And that's yeah. actually the question you ask um, when you're about to do anything is really uh, with another person is what state do I need them to be in in order to be most receptive to the, to the to the methodology that I'm using or the lesson I'm about to give them or yeah. like in a teaching setting or, um, in a healing setting like you were doing. Okay. Okay. Cool. Yeah. Very cool. That's internal, really great. Internal representations. I love that concept. I know, you know? it's, it's huge. Um, yeah. it's, it's foundational too, because mm-hmm. if you know that, um, a lot of other things open up. Yeah. Here, here's an example of, um, of using an analogy, I guess, I guess you would probably call this a reframe, I guess, but now that I'm thinking about it, but, um, you ever done paraffin wax? Yeah. On, Par- on paraffin hands, like, yeah. Like the hands. Those are feet. great. Oh, like, like, so like good. you know, um, the ladies know about paraffin, right? Because sometimes at the salons, you, know, you put your hands in a little paraffin wax bath and then you pull your hand out and it dries instantaneously and, you know, it makes your, your skin all soft. Well, it feels in, great. Yeah, it does. It's amazing. Yeah. Um, I would love to put my, my whole body in a paraffin oh, bath, you know, it'd be me just incredible. Too. Yeah, that'd be awesome. But, um, paraffin is used in occupational therapy and physical therapy. You know, the, the, the therapy fields like to use paraffin bath. It's great for people that have problems with their hands, right? So like if, if somebody has arthritis, you know, um, hot packs and ultrasound and e-stim and stuff like that is not going to be very useful for, for fingers, you can't get all the nooks and crannies and, you know, it's, it's hard to reach those, those areas. And so paraffin is perfect. You just go to the little paraffin bath and you dip your hands in it and then you pull your, dip it in several times and then you wrap your hands in, you know, a trash bag and, and some towels and let them soak for a while. And you, you just soak in all the heat and it's really good for the, for the joints. Well, what I found is a lot of the older patients, because their skin's a little bit thinner, it's sort of sensitive. And when they stick their hand in the paraffin, it's a little hotter than they expect and they kind right. of jerk and they jump and they like, like, Oh, that's hot. And they, they freak out about it. Hmm. And I learned that if I set it up for them before they put their hand in it, I would never ever have a problem with anybody putting their hands all the way in the paraffin wax. And here's how I did it. Right. I saw a couple old ladies just sort of, you know, flip out when they touch, touch the hot wax. And I said, okay, this is paraffin wax. It's a nice melted wax and it feels hot like a jacuzzi. Like, you know how when you first start to get into a jacuzzi, it's a little bit hot. You feel like, ooh, this is a little hot, but it also feels so good. I said, no, this won't burn you just any, any more than a jacuzzi would burn you. 
So I just want you to enjoy the hotness of the jacuzzi. And I never, ever for the rest of my career had anybody have a problem putting their hands in the paraffin wax. Oh, that's, that's beautiful <laughs> you know? that it works that well. And that's perfect yeah. use. Yeah, that is a reframe. We, yeah, we call okay. that kind of a reframe a pre-frame. A pre-frame. Which is go. extremely that's powerful great. because basically it yeah. sets the, the pace. I mean, if you, pre, uh, if you pre-frame a situation, you're basically reframing it ahead of time. Right, right. Yeah. I, f- I figured that one out about 11 years ago, you know. Oh, wow. Never had a problem with that ever since because it works so darn good, you know. And you see yeah. the opposite of, um, you know, cases where you're people who don't do that and what can potentially happen. And totally, someone who's less yeah. experienced than you and knows less right. might not know to pre-frame mm-hmm. yeah. the situation. It sort of reminds me of, of if you, you pick up a drink and you forget what drink is in the cup. Mm. And it takes your brain a few seconds to recognize what it is. For those few seconds, you flip out like this is the most disgusting thing you just put in your mouth. And you go, oh, wait a minute. That's just lemonade. Oh, that's good. Right. And we finish drinking it. Or like you think you're, you think you're taking a sip of Coke or, you know, soda or something. And instead of soda, it's milk. And there's like, like two seconds of flip out, freak out. Oh, my God. What did I put? Oh, that's just milk. Okay, that's no big deal. Yeah. You know, <laughs> it's funny. Like, well, I didn't like it for two seconds and now I do like it. What's that all about? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Power of suggestion. Yeah. And taking really? advantage of it um, mm-hmm. for the benefit of mankind. Yeah. That's great. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's super cool. Preframes are used a lot in classes too. You know, when you when you basically tell them on the first day what you expect. Oh, yeah. You know, and about your cell phones and about paying attention, turning in assignments. That's a preframe because you're mm-hmm. you're setting, you know, you're sort of laying out the uh, the rules, yeah. the ground rules, and telling them what That's to right. expect. Yeah. And then whether or not all of those things actually happen or not, they're expecting it. And oftentimes just by expecting it, it changes the the way it rolls. You know, if you say, um, you can expect me to take your cell phone if it goes off in class and I'll hold it for you until the end of class. Um, the likelihood is that people won't let their cell phone Go off. Yeah, yeah. I should it's get embarrassing. A, I should get a bucket. You just put it up in the room. And every time a cell phone goes off, it goes in the bucket. We'll see how many cell phones we can get in the bucket. It'll, it'll, it'll <laughs> always be empty, right? <laughs> it definitely would be if it was ice water. Yeah, for sure. I think that the NLP model of communication is elegant because it takes into account things like beliefs, values, memories. Yeah. Um, you know, those things are filters too. If you have, um, something that's more important to you, that changes how you delete, distort, and generalize. Oh yeah. Certain beliefs you have memories about, I mean, gosh, you had a negative memory around something that's going to definitely change what you filter for. Yeah. I mean, screw me once, right? Right. That's (laughs) that, that saying. And you're like, Hey, I'm looking for it now. And it's a different, it's a different thing altogether that changes the, the frame, the preframe, mm-hmm. going into any new circumstance that might be perceived as similar. When you're generalizing that it might be similar, yeah, you know, you you filter that in. Um, but also, uh, little known things like metaprograms, which are yeah, what's that? What's a metaprogram? yeah? Metaprograms are uh, it's something that that um, some of the early NLP pioneers were noticing about persona. They're they're kind of. I almost want to say that they're part of the blueprint of an individual personality where they're a way of filtering information 
and there, there are a whole bunch of them. Uh, I don't think we've identified every single uh, meta program that exists. Yeah. But an example of, of one would be uh, filtering for sameness versus difference. Okay. Okay. Have you ever noticed that some people have a tendency to make connections between things more often? They go, yeah. wow, this is just like the blah, blah, blah that I had blah, blah, blah ago. Yeah. Right. And right. other people have a tendency to um, say things like, well, this is nothing like the, you know, X, right. Y, yeah, or Z yeah, that I had yeah, before. Right. It's the same kind of thing, only it's it's just flipped on its end. Well, so, my other wart didn't behave that way. Right. You know? And so sameness versus difference is a major filtering pro, pro, uh, process that is one of the meta programs. Hmm. Um, okay. Sameness versus difference. Sameness versus difference. You yeah. know, that's interesting. Um, I use that to help students learn how to memorize material. Oh. And I'll tell you my philosophy on that. Um, I do get students that, you know, maybe they struggle a little bit. They're having a hard time adapting to what the expectations are in higher education. And maybe they're not doing so hot on tests and you know, we get together and start working on stuff. And I always ask them, you know, how are you studying? And, and, and it's always the same. Well, I print the PowerPoints and I just review everything and I highlight stuff and it's like oh, the same old, same old, same old. Right. And I say, oh, no, 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 no. That's not how you have to study. <laughs> okay, let's, let's, let's address your, your study style. And I tell them, everything you study has to be compared to something else. Right. Don't you dare study anything without comparing it to something else. I said, so imagine you're in outer space. 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 You don't know up from down, left from right, you know, forward from back. You can't see anything. You're in pitch black. And you don't even know who you are, where you are. You're just confused. And all of a sudden, you bump into something. You can't see what it is, but you bump into something. Boom. Mm. And you go, oh, well, I'm here, and that thing is there. And now there's two points in space, right? There's mm. you and that other thing. Mm. So at least now you know where you are in comparison to that thing you bumped into. Then you float over some other direction away from that thing and you bump into something else. You go, wait a minute. That thing is over there and this thing is over here and I'm over here. So now I have three points in space. You see what I mean? And so out of nothing comes the opportunity to start remembering things by comparison. So what I do is I have the students say, okay, um, you read a PowerPoint slide, you find a concept, you put it up on the board, you put it on a piece of paper. And then you read another concept and you put that up on the board over on the other side. You go, now what's the same between these two concepts? What's different about these two concepts? Hmm. Okay. And I get my students to start making these detailed lists like, all right, let's say they're learning about diseases. All right. Okay. So these are all the, the, I'm just going to, I'm going to pick psych. Okay. So these are all the psychotic diseases, you know, um, you know, we've got, uh, uh, you know, schizophrenia and with schizophrenia, there's these subtypes, you know, and then, and then there's the mood disorders and then there's the subtypes and so on and so forth. And then, so what I get them to do is say, okay, all of these diseases, what do they all have in common? What are the common symptoms? Hmm. You know? So if I re if I remember that all of this chunk of, you know, material has all these things in common, I don't have to memorize those individually. I've learned a whole chunk right? All of these things have, you know, maybe depression, let's say, you know, mm. these are all the diseases that have depression. Easy. These are all the diseases that have hallucinations. Easy. Now what's, 
the differences now of all the ones that have hallucinations. What are the differences between them? You know, well, this one is hallucinations. Then it also has, um, you know, a mood disorder component. Okay, good. This one has hallucinations, um, but the person gets rigid and they can't move. Okay, good. Now this person, so now by, by identifying everything that is the same and everything that is different, they've created a comparison. It's like they're lost in space. And I don't know this material. Yeah. Now they know exactly where they are. And, and, um, I've, heard this or something similar to this being described as cognitive architecture. Hmm. This idea that you're building these cognitive um, structures in your mind. Um, and so what I try to do is get them to build these structures in their mind based upon comparisons. And it works. They get so much better grades. They start to like the material because they've learned how to dissect large volumes of, of information and cut it down into sameness and differentness, just like what you're describing. Yeah, it's amazing. That's you know? brilliant. <laughs> it's Satch, fun. That's fun. really brilliant. I mean, way to get uh, people engaged in the learning process too, because I mean, much like having a conversation with a person, active listening helps with retention. You know, if you're really okay. participating yeah. by uh, feeding things back to the person, so what you're saying was this, correct? And how does that relate to that? And yeah. you know, you, you're involved in it, but if you're studying by yourself and it's not a conversation with another human being, but you're in a sense having a theoretical conversation with an idea or with your mind or part of your mind. And you're getting all those, making all those connections, you uh, um, conceptually, I would imagine is making, con you know, connections neurologically too. Oh because yeah. You're, you're building all these ways to reference it. And then mm -hmm. of course your memory would have an easier time because it becomes holographic. You've got all these different connections. It's create, right. creating, more than just a, a flat two-dimensional idea it's it's got layers and texture and depth to it and yeah, yeah. that's really brilliant. you know i i think um you know students i mean not just students everybody we have a tendency not to realize that a photographic memory has to be created mm. you can create a photographic memory of mm. anything you want you know, like, for example, um, if I were to say, um, Carlos, um, could you imagine you're standing in your bedroom right now? Yes. And can you just start naming me? Just imagine you're standing in your bedroom and in your mind's eye, go around the room and just start naming as many objects as you can right now. Okay. There's the bed. There's the posts around the bed. There's the uh, dresser on the side. There is the mirror. There is the floor. I see the um, the blinds. I see the chairs. I see the Chinese table. I see the other uh, recliner chair. I see the exit to the uh, balcony. Um, seeing um, the books, I can name many of the books that are there, including some DVDs that are there. Uh, the television, uh, the fan. Uh, let's see here. I think uh, that's probably good enough. I could enough. continue. You could. You really could. And you could probably go and give me even more detail of each of those items. Yeah. Right? You could probably start telling me colors and sharp edges and Absolutely. soft edges. and Right? I could tell you marks in the ceiling that look like other things. Yeah. Right. Right. Paradelia. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Paradelia, I feel like that yeah. mark's always staring at me. Exactly. One, one looks like a rose and the other one looks yeah. like L.A. <laughs> as in Los Angeles. There you go. Yeah. yeah. Um, so uh, the reason I had you do that is because... Um, that's photographic memory, right? You know, yeah, it it's, it's the idea that 
if I were to now have to memorize that list of things that you, I mean, you just said, you know, 20 or more items mm -hmm. just on, on, on the fly. Right. Mm -hmm. And, um, you're not trying to remember them on your drive all the way over here tonight. Okay. What are all the things in my bedroom? What are that? You know, I better you be just, ready when Satch asks me. Later. Right. Exactly. Because yeah. he's going to test me tonight. Right? right. And, and really what it comes down to is, um, Memory is incredible, except humans need to use their memory the way it was intended to work. And it's intended to work that way. You know, it that's is. how memory works. You know, it's very procedural. It follows, a, you know, um, it uses a lot of procedural memory. You know, the idea of, well, this and that. If I'm here, then I look there, then I'm going to see that. And you know what I mean? And so, so when, when a student or anybody out there, an employee at a new job or something, when that person has large volumes of information that they need to remember, um, you cannot make your memory recall things from a list. And so if I have students that are trying to remember things off a PowerPoint slide, how about, how about we build a room in your mind? You know, let's just build a room. It's easy. Yeah. You know, look how much stuff you can remember. Then you can start to compare things. What's on the left side of the room versus the right side of the room. If the dresser had an opponent on the other side of the room, what would it be? Hmm. You know what I mean? <laughs> sort of, mm -hmm. you know, and uh, it's amazing how the mind, you know, works and stores and retrieves. And I don't know. Here's a question. Hmm. Those pictures in your mind, are those internal representations? Oh, absolutely. Okay. Yeah. There we go. Wow. Okay. It's all about the IR. It is. Mm. It is. Well, and the, the IR, as I mentioned, it, it affects how you feel and how you feel affects your physiology and how your physiology is affected affects how you behave. There you go. And how you behave affects what results you get. Yeah. So do you think yeah. they're important? I think so. They sure are. IRs sure are, are very important. Very, very important. Wow. Yeah, so I'm really excited because last night I got to see Dr. Janice Davis at Stanbridge College. Oh, yeah. Uh, she um, runs the master's degree program in occupational therapy. Yes. Awesome. And by the way, thank you for introducing me to her. Oh, yeah. She's one of my favorite people on earth. Yeah. Seriously. She probably doesn't know I feel that way, but now she does. Well, I can <laughs> I can see why because she's, <laughs> she's really amazing. I mean, um, in Dr. Davis's class, she uh, I could see how... Um, she was enjoying that portion of the okay. class, uh, cause she was taking notes and she kind of nodding her head and smiling at a yeah. point because I was relating to the IR that, you know, describing the IR, but then talking about how, um, you know, to the class when you're with your clients, it's so important to, uh, manage the IR you're creating with them. Yeah. And I gave some examples and ways to stay in rapport and how to get them from a depressed state maybe to an action state where they could do the exercises. Okay. And basically, there were some kind of touched upon some active listening and connecting. Um, I used some spatial uh, metaphors to speak to their unconscious. And this is a pattern of influence that I learned in NLP. But basically, as I was telling them the story, I moved from one place in the room to another. Okay. And I made, I made the unconscious analogical marking of territory or space mm. in the room yeah. to be associated with particular feelings. And then I oh, used that to communicate meta information that wasn't being communicated specifically in my language but was huh. in alignment with what I was saying. So in other words, cool. uh, here I was talking about, okay, you've got um, someone who's really depressed, and I, I, I built 
the association physically with the area I was standing to be something like a negative status. I, I refer, I kind of embodied the person who had the negative state by voicing their thoughts and voicing the physiology. And I got the whole room to get into a slightly depressed state. I said, go okay. ahead and, you know, I promise you that we won't do this for a very long time, just a few seconds, but okay. just to illustrate the point, could we all just think of something that's a real bummer? Like mm-hmm. something you're like, oh man, that sucks. Yeah, yeah. And I said, you know, just notice how you feel, notice what goes on in your body. And I got everybody kind of inducted into a little bit of a negative IR. Okay. I didn't paint it for them. I just told them, paint your own negative IR yeah. about, you know, something that's a bummer. And then I moved over to a different part of the room. Okay. And I said, okay, everybody, well, first of all, let's, let's shake it off. Mm-hmm. Everybody walk out. And, and, I, and as I walked over to the new area, I said... You know, I clapped my hands. I did something auditory to kind of break it up. And I mm-hmm. said, all right, now think of a situation where you did really well and you were so surprised at how awesome you did on a test, or maybe you, you got a job, or maybe somebody asked you out at mm-hmm. one point in your life that you never thought you would, or just something really awesome happened mm-hmm. and you feel really good. Just notice how you feel now. And I asked everybody to identify what it was that was the difference. And they said, well, you know, I feel taller, I feel lifted, I feel like mm-hmm. I'm, I'm smiling and everybody in the room is smiling. I'm like, yeah, look around the room. You guys are all smiling. So mm-hmm. do you think that an internal representation can affect how you feel? And they're like, they're all laughing yeah, and nodding their heads totally. like, duh. Yeah. And they say, okay, and you guys are into medical science here. Do you think that how you feel affects your chemistry? And they're like, nodding their heads like, duh, yeah, of course it does. So do you think that you can affect this change in the client by changing the IR you're creating and everybody, it kind of, it sunk in and I could see Dr. Davis in the background smiling going, yes, like I'm so glad you covered this. Nice. Because so cool. I've been wanting yeah. them to, you know, yeah. to get the idea of, of like really knowing how important it is that you, the way you communicate You've been listening to The Authenticity Show with your hosts, Carlos Casados and Satch Purcell. The show is produced by Oliver Altine. Our theme music is composed by Oliver Altine. You can find more information on our website, AuthenticityShow.com. Thanks for listening, and have an authentic day.